0: Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse number 6 and 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7. I'm going to have to read 5 as well. Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. I don't know whether you've noticed it or not, but everything is to the praise and the glory to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, for grace. Praise God for the grace. We're saved by grace. Right? We're saved by grace. Who initiated this? I I know that this is fought against and hated and despised, but this is... The Word of God, Church. This is the Word of God. Don't let man's tradition and man's resting of the Scripture turn you away from what the Bible is so plain and easy to be understood. So really we could say this God by by verse number five, He's brought us into the family. By grace. Would you say that? By His will and by grace. Verse number 6. Why did He bring us in in verse number 5? To the praise of the glory of His grace. How glorious. You know, it's something that God would save a good man. But that God would save something like me. God would save something... I I don't want to go too far, but God would say something like you. Are there any good? None good. No, not one. But you know, I just look at my life individually. How glorious is the grace of God that would include somebody as vile as I am. And maybe you could think that same way. But verse number 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein, what, what does that mean? In this grace, you and I are made accepted in the Beloved, the Beloved, the only begotten Son of God, in whom, so in the Beloved, we have redemption. So we've been bought, We've been redeemed, we've been ransomed through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So, not not out of His grace, but you and I have been redeemed. So how great is our redemption our redemption is in accordance to the grace of God. And our forgiveness is in accordance to the grace of God. How, how great am I really forgiven? I tell you by the Word of God, I am saved to the uttermost. I am forgiven past sins, sins that happen at this, in this day. And whatever sins that may happen in my life from this until the day that I leave here, there is such an abundance of grace and an abundance of forgiveness that I am forgiven of past, present, and future sin through the riches of His grace. (coughs) And you know, (coughs) Jesus said in Luke chapter number 21 in verse 1. He says it also in the book of Mark, chapter number 12. But Luke chapter 21, you know, we got a little picture here of out of and according to. Luke chapter 21, they're sitting down at the temple, they're watching people throw money in the coffers. So there they are, and there came in a widow a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. So the smallest denomination of money, maybe in that day, well, let's just call it a penny for our easiness, for us to wrap our mind around it. So they're there, and there is, in the book of Mark, there's people there that are throwing in gobs of money. But this woman throws in two pennies, and you know, all those people throwing in their abundance, Jesus took no notice of them. But this woman he takes notice of. Listen to how he says it. And he saw also a certain widow casting thither, in thither, two mites. He said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. So all with all of that great sum of money that they had cast in, Jesus said she cast in more than all of them. How could that be that she cast in more than all? For all these have of their abundance cast in to the offering of God. But she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had so they cast in out of their abundance she cast in according to her abundance jesus has redeemed us and forgiven us not according not according to grace but according to the riches of His grace. You and I have a redemption, a salvation, a forgiveness today, according to the riches of His grace. Now if I look back at that verse where He brought us into the family of God, adopted us according according to His own will, he brought us into the family of God. What should that bring? That should be praise to the glory of His grace. So what, what should be, what does it look like to be redeemed and forgiven by the grace of God? Now don't forget this. Through His blood. So through the offering. Through the sacrifice, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption and forgiveness according to the riches of His grace. So, I'd like to look in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. And I hope the Lord would help us to put all of this together. So, as we think about this... 12th chapter, you know, in chapter 11, we've got a great cloud of witnesses. And I believe that the writer is trying to encourage the people not to fall away. Don't go back. Don't come to all of this great knowledge and then fail of the grace of God. So we'll we'll look just a little bit... beginning at verse number 18. Verse number 18 in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. So he's going to give us a picture of what it looked like at Mount Sinai. So he says, You are not come. So he's going to give us another picture as well. But first, he shows us what it looked like at Mount Sinai. You are not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire nor unto the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voiced they that heard it, entreated that the words should not be spoken unto them anymore. So now let's think. Let's get a picture of this first. So when they were at Mount Sinai, it was covered over with a smoke. There was lightning and the earth was quaking. And there was a voice coming out. And you know, really, I believe you could say this. There was a voice saying, come near, but don't come too far. Come near, but stay away. Come near, because if you come too close, you're going to die. That's what the Old Testament was, folks. The Old Testament was in darkness. It was in shadows. It was a word that brought fear and quaking. Moses himself, a man who was the friend of God, a man who talked with God face to face, Moses said, I exceedingly exceedingly quake in fear. But we've not come to that. We've come to something better than that. We, we've we not come to a mountain. Now think, we've not come to a mountain that you can lay your hand on. We've not come to a mountain that you could lay your eyes on and your feet could stand on it. And it was dark and covered with smoke and, and trembling and fear was there. And a voice that sounded like a trumpet that made everybody say, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want God to talk to us anymore. Thank God that's not where we are today. But by the riches of God's grace, we've come into something that is greater than that, better than that, more gracious than that. Thank God for the wonderful and marvelous grace of God that has brought us into the New Testament. Just listen, you you talk about blessed. And the sound of the trumpet and the words, which the voice that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken anymore. There was such a fear that they wanted Moses to go talk to God. Now just think. They didn't even want God to speak to them any longer. You go up there, Moses, and talk to God and bring down God's Word to us Don't let Him thunder. Don't let the lightning. Don't let the earth. Don't let that happen any longer. It about scares us to death. And the Word of God. Look look at the next verse. For they could not endure. Endure. They could not bear. They could not endure that which was commanded. Can you imagine? God's going to give you a word that you can't do and hold you accountable. God's not going to do that. He is going to do that. God's going to give them a word that they cannot bear, they cannot endure. It's more than they can bear up under. So in Galatians, what was the purpose of the law? What was the purpose of the law, the word that came from Mount Sinai? It was to lead us to the Lord Jesus. It was to let us see the impossibility of bearing up under, enduring the word that was commanded. Can you see how wonderful that Jesus Christ, and the grace of God that you and I have, the forgiveness that we have, the redemption that we have in Him, in the Christ, in the Son of God, a friend, because man by the by, the Scripture, for they could not endure that, endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. Now imagine this. Do you and I have more comprehension, more sense, more reasoning than a beast? If a beast set its foot on the mount of God, it was going to be killed. What about us? Sounds like a fearful place to be, doesn't it? It sounds like a dreaded place to be. That's the first covenant. That's the law. That's the Old Testament. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. My, my. What about that? And here's man. Now here's the thinking of man. We've got it written down here. But here's the thinking of a man. God sends it down with Moses before He gets down with the Word the first time. What are they doing? Worshipping a calf. Already they've left God already. God, Moses, is going to go back and bring it down again. And He's going to read everything that God said. And man is so wound up in himself that he's going to say... We'll do it. You can't do it. And I can't do it. And no man has ever been able to hold up, bear up, endure what God gave at Mount Sinai. No one, no one has ever been able to bear the yoke, bear up under the load, to hold and keep The Word of God that was commanded. But man said, we'll do it. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. No one has ever done it. But thank God for verse number 22, but. You see that. Isn't that a wonderful word? If this was all we had, ladies and gentlemen... If all I had was verse number 18, 19, and 20, 21, what would I have to look forward to? Death. That's all I would have. Failure. And through my failure, death. But ye are come. And really that word, you are come to Mount Sin unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So let's just think about this for just a moment. But you are come to Mount Zion. I ask you this. How did we get to Mount Zion? How did we get to the new covenant? How did we get to the new Jerusalem? Did I go there on my own? You just think now, please be honest. As Colin read to us this morning, you know what he said? Man has no desire for God, but I tell you, we have come. Isn't that wonderful? We, ha- I tell you what I wrote down. I wrote down this right under that. I have been brought along. I have been directed here. It was by the direction of God Almighty. It was by the work of the Holy Spirit. No man... Colin read to us this morning that no man can come to me except my Father in heaven, which sent me, draw him. And you know something? Every person I've ever heard that got up and gave a testimony that had the good spirit and power of God on it, you know what happened with every one of them? It was the Spirit of God that caused them to come. It was the Spirit of God that brought them. It was the Spirit of God that brought them under conviction. It was the Spirit of God that gave them faith. It was the Spirit of God that brought them to the altar. It was the Spirit and the working of God in the inner man uh, that brought them. Though they may have heard the message, the same message over and over and over again, though they heard the preacher hundreds of times, uh, tens of times, teens of times, whatever it might be, that day, somehow God made it to be different and it wasn't that I was different. The preacher wasn't different. The Word wasn't different. God made a change in the heart of man and brought him to the place by the working of the Holy Spirit that man could come to God. Well, preacher, everybody can come to God. Why don't they then? Why don't they come to God? By the Word of God, but you are come. Thank God that the Lord brought us. I tell you, it was the Lord that brought me. I don't know what, I, I won't speak. I won't speak for anybody else, but it was God who brought me. As Anthony taught about Jacob, you know, and, and his name being changed, who was in the workings that brought Jacob to that place that he'd pour out and be honest with God that night at the Brook Javitt? Who Who did that? My, my, my. I tell you, again, back to Ephesians, who's getting the glory? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost is getting all the glory for grace. That's what brought us here. But you are come to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. So I believe we could say this We've come into the church. We've come into the family of God. Whether you want to say it like this, whether you want to say that we're the building of God, we're the temple of God, we're the vineyard of God, we're the husbandry of God, we're stones in the building, lively stones, right? Or we're the city in the book of the Revelation, we're the city... And what was the beginning of that 21st chapter? He showed me the bride. (laughs) However you want to look at it, you and I have been brought into the family of God by the work of Almighty God. We've come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. We've come. Now, now I, I would say this, and I hope you wouldn't take this wrong, but we're members of the church. We're members of the family of God. We make up the building of God. If I look at it in the Revelation, we make up the city of God. We're lively stones, according to Peter, in the building. Ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So not only am I a part of Zion, but Zion... So Zion means this the dwelling place of the God of Israel. So we could say the church. That would be a fair statement, wouldn't it? How about me individually? Is there a part of me that is Zion? Is there a part of me that is the dwelling place of the God of Israel. There He is. Where does God dwell? In the heart of the individual believer. Now now listen to these words. Verse number 18, For ye... For ye... Verse number 22, But ye... Individually... You are come to Mount Zion, <laughs> but isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that we have come into the dwelling place of God? But I tell you what's more wonderful than that. That God has come into us as His own dwelling place. I don't know whether you would agree with it or not. Most people won't. But in my Father's house are many mansions. i see tell you what you are. You know what the mansions are? The dwelling place. In my Father's family. That's what it really means. In my Father's family are many dwelling places. You know who you are? You are the dwelling place of God. In you is Zion. In the heart of man there is Zion. In the heart of man is the dwelling place of the God of Israel. In the heart of man is spiritual Zion. Not a city that can be touched with hands. Not, a, not not under the mount that can be touched with hands. I, I realize we could look back and we could say, well, uh, David called Jerusalem Zion. He certainly did. You know what he did? He set up a tent, a tent right there. And friends, there, though the ark was down in Gibeah, right there, ladies and gentlemen, uh, or the ark was there and the rest of the uh, going zone was down in Gibeah, I hear that, G, uh, that David worshiped God in Zion. And friend, Solomon built a temple at Zion. But I say today, where is Zion today? Oh, preacher, it's the church. It is. I agree with you 1,000%. Thank God we've come into the body. We've come into the bride. We've come into the city. We've come into the temple of God Almighty. And you and I are individually. We make up that temple. And the Lord individually lives in my heart and in your heart. And your heart is the dwelling place of God. So your heart is a type of Zion. But you are coming to Mount Zion. You are coming to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly. Now, now notice this. This Zion originated out of heaven. This Zion didn't originate with God or with man. This Zion didn't originate from the earth. Jerusalem. He's going to talk about the city of Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Where did that originate? That originated with God. That did not originate with man. The new Jerusalem, that originated with God. So again, let's look. But you are coming to Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, not a dead God, But a God who is alive, a God who is an action God, a God who is in charge, a God who is in control, a God who is not waiting on man, a God who does not react to man, a God who causes, a God who brings forth, a God who speaks and a God who moves, a God who speaks and moves by the Holy Spirit of God, a God who brings to pass His will, His purpose. For what, preacher? For the praise to the glory of His grace. That's for what? Notice now, under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, let's just take this verse and just think on this for a minute with me. How were you brought into the heavenly Jerusalem. Where did the heavenly Jerusalem come from? (laughs) It come from heaven, folks. It did not come from the workings of man. No ma'am, and no sir. Did he do it all? (laughs) He certainly did. Thank God the Lord Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Now you tell me how else That you got in to the new Jerusalem, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Originating with God, a heavenly Jerusalem. So we'll say that the heavenly Jerusalem is the same as the church. I believe that'll be all right. But where did that come from? It came from God, it did not originate with man. It came from the workings of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So by this Word, you have not come. We've not come to the mount, the mount that can be touched. No, I'll tell you this, folks. What brought me into the kingdom of God? You couldn't lay your hand on it. You couldn't put your feet on it. You couldn't grasp hold of it with your hands and hold it. What brought me into the family of God? What brought me into the church of the living God? It was spiritual. It was a work of God done in the heart. In Zion, if you will, I tell you, God did a work in my heart that brought me in and made me a part of the family of God. It originated with God. You see... If man puts his hands on this, he's going to mess it up. And you might say, well, you're, you're reading too much into it. You've been brought in. You've come to the Mount Zion, under the city of the living God. So I've come into the city of the living God, under the heavenly Jerusalem, so it originated with God. I've not come into that Jerusalem over in the Mideast. Honest to God, I've not come into the local assembly. Though I'm a part of a local assembly, I didn't come into that by the workings of man. But I come into that by the workings of God Almighty. It originated with God, this new Jerusalem, this heavenly Jerusalem. Our friend, it's the church of the living God, and God is the one that brought it to birth. He did the work. He does the work. To the general assembly and church. And to the innumerable company of angels. So this innumerable company. And general assembly. So now you think about this company. I believe you could say this. A representation of the whole. This general assembly of the church. A representation of the whole people. And as you think about the angels, what are they? Ministering spirits unto those that would receive salvation. You know what you know what's happened to you? You've been brought into that same company. Paul said over in the book of the Ephesians that he has made us ambassadors for Christ, hasn't he? You know what? He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. He has brought us into a work and brought us into the, uh, uh, to a, a myriad or a multitude of angels, He's brought us in and give us a ministry and a work to do as well. And unto the general assembly of the church. He's brought us in, ladies and gentlemen, unto a group of people that have been called out. That's what church means. The called out. How are you called out? I'd say this, we're called out through the Word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit. Who initiated that? God the Father did. God the Father started all of that through the Word. So there's Jesus Christ. Through the conviction, through the drawing power, there's the Holy Spirit. God started that. How did I get in to be a part of the general assembly of the church? How was it that I was called out? Well, preacher, everybody's called. Well, how is it that some people are called out of the world and some people remain in the world? Is that a work of God or not? Does it really really take God to do that? Does it really take God to convince a man and convict a man and draw a man, does it really take God? Yes, it does. I'm sorry if you disagree, but yes, it does. So you've been called out to the general assembly of the church that called out the firstborn. Now, think about this. That we've been called out to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written... In heaven. So what did the firstborn get? They got a double portion. They got the greater blessing. Right? What about us? What do we get? You talk about the riches of His grace. What do we get? You know what we get? We get an equal share with the beloved. Beloved we get an equal share with God's only Son. We get an equal share. You see, He, he didn't uh, bring us out and, and, and we are the firstborn or we're getting a share according to the firstborn. But the Bible said to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Who was the firstborn? He's the only begotten, isn't He? And He's the firstborn from the dead, Right? is that right? To the firstborn, which are written in heaven. So, a double portion. So I ask you this. You know what's happened to me? I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm not getting a double portion. I'm getting an equal portion. I become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now you tell me, is that out of the riches of His grace that He brought me in and gave me a little portion. No, I tell you, according to the riches of His grace, He brought me into the family of God, bought me, redeemed me, adopted me, brought me into the family, and not do I get a portion that the firstborn gets. Praise God, you know what the firstborn was? Uh, The firstborn was earthly. I don't mean that to Jesus. I mean that in the way that most people would think about it. Just like the firstborn of Isaac, the firstborn of, of Ishmael, the firstborn of Abraham, uh, the firstborn of this man or that man or that lady, they've got a double portion. But you know what you've got? Praise God in the Beloved. You've got to be an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what we've got today. We've got a portion according to the riches of His grace. He didn't just bring us in and give us some little smidgen. You know something? It might be that Josh is going to get everything that his mother and daddy leaves in this world. That's probably not going to be true with Donna. She's going to have to divide it six ways. You know what God did for you? He makes you just like you are the only one. He made you just like you were the only one. Now listen, He's not limited on grace. He's not limited on mercy. He's not limited on riches. I'll tell you what He did. Just like you were the only one, you were saved, redeemed, and brought into the family of God. And He's made you just like His own. Like you are the only one. You got everything that God had for an offering for in an inheritance in the book of Hebrews, or the book of Ephesians. You know what you got? You got the inheritance. And guess what? You got it all! That's according to the riches of His grace. So, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn... So the greatest blessing went upon the firstborn. The double portion went on the firstborn. Which are written in heaven. When when was that? You're right. Who were written in heaven... Before the foundation of the world. When did God choose His family? When did God choose His bride, the bride for His Son? Before the foundation of the world. The choice was not made out of a group of people. The, group, the, uh, the people were chosen out of the heart and the mind of God. But when, when were our names there? Well, preacher, God writes your name down when you get saved. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in chapter number 17 in the book of the Revelation, He said this, "...that the beast which thou sawest and was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell upon the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast." You and I's name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Listen to what he says in the book of, in the, book of uh, uh, the Revelation, chapter number 21. Chapter number 21, he says this, And there shall in no wise enter any, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. How did I come in? According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, You and I are made accepted in the Beloved through His blood, through the sacrifice of the Son of God. When was He sacrificed? When was it that the Son of God was sacrificed? According to the Bible, the Bible says this, that Jesus Christ, verse 8 in chapter number 13 of the Revelation, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him, talking about the beast, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Let me ask you this. When Abraham offered Isaac and the book of Hebrews said that he was accepted of him... What does that mean? In Abraham's mind, he had already slain his son. In Abraham's mind, Abraham was going to slay his own son. He had already come to that. He had already come to that. You, you, you might think, well, Jesus gave up at the cross. No, ma'am and no, sir. I'll tell you that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane surrendered there. And I don't mean that He surrendered against God's will. I mean that He surrendered perfectly 1,000% under God's will. But you know what? He was already dead. A friend before the foundation of the world and the determinate counsel of God, Jesus Christ had been slain before the foundation of the world. And before the foundation of the world... Those that will believe their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know who they are. You don't either. What are we doing? We're trying to proclaim the Word of God that they'll come. We're trying to tell them about a wonderful and a marvelous grace that they would want to come. We're trying to preach the Word of God and God through His Word, through His Spirit and His power, He might draw them unto Himself. That they might come to be a part of the church. That they might come to be a part of the heavenly Jerusalem. That they might be brought into the family of God. That they might become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. That they might be uh, have an inheritance in the Lord Jesus. You you know, it's only through my union with Him. How can a man be unified? How can a man come in union with Christ? Only through the Word and the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know this. You and I have been brought into something greater than Mount Sinai. The Word of God which are written in heaven and to God. We've come to God. And to the judge of all. We've come to God in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, you came to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your faith in the offering that He made at Calvary for your salvation. Through and by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come to God. What does He say? He saves them to the uttermost. Who are they? Are they that come to God by Him? Isn't that right? Those that come to God by Him were saved unto the uttermost. Uh, We've come to God. How can I, man come to God? Through Christ and the judge. Now, according to what Paul wrote down at Athens, Jesus is the judge of the whole world. He's going to judge the whole world by that man whom He raised from the dead. Yet we have come to God, haven't we? We've come to God. I mean, we're not on Mount Sinai quaking and fearful and and fearing that God is going to destroy us or God's going to come down in wrath and destroy us and bring down the fire from uh, the wrath of God and bring us and take us to hell. No, I tell you what we are. We're accepted in the Beloved because of the wondrous, marvelous, exceeding grace of God. It really should all go to Him. All the glory, all the praise, all the honor, all the grace... Uh, All the praise for the grace should go to Him, to the General Assembly, the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God and the Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Just men made perfect. So what does just mean? Are we justified? Are we just before God? I say this, according to the Word of God, if you are saved, if you have been called... If you've been brought into the family of God, you are justified. You are sanctified. You are glorified. I may not have the fullness of that right now, but I do know this, uh, friend. And however you want to look at this scripture, you can say, "Well, well, I believe he's talking about in heaven." Well, know this: one day in heaven, I will be fully glorified. One day in heaven, I will be fully sanctified. I am fully justified right now, and I am sanctified in this sense that. God has made me holy in His sight through Jesus Christ. There's an ongoing sanctification, how to make me look more and more like the Son of God. But I am justified, sanctified, and glorified now right. through. through Jesus. But listen, listen, and come unto the spirits of just men made perfect. <laughs> listen to Colossians. What does perfect mean? Most of the time in the Bible, perfect means complete. According to Colossians chapter number 2. Speaking of Christ in verse number 8, verse number 9 says this. Colossians chapter number 2 verse 9. For in Him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Where are you? If you are saved, where are you? In Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Where are you? You are in Christ. Now God is the fullness of God's dwelling in Jesus Christ. And you are in Christ. So what what do you have? According to verse number 10, And you are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision, made without hands and putting off the body of this flesh by the circumcision of Christ. There's even more, but I just want you to see this. You are complete in Him. You are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are complete. Your wisdom, your power, your justification... Uh, your your revelation, uh, your sanctification. You are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, He is my representative. Amen. You know, just like we tried to talk to you a few services back, when when uh, Douglas MacArthur was standing on the deck of the Missouri, you know who he was signing for? He was signing for seven, eight, nine, ten different nations: the Netherlands, New Zealand, Australia, Great Britain. China, USSR, United States of America, Canada, you know who I am. Praise God in Jesus Christ. He signed the paperwork for me to be delivered with a great redemption, with a great forgiveness, according to the riches of His grace. He's my representative. I am in Him. That's not all. He's in me. He lives in me. But you just have to take His Word on it. Oh no. He's done more than just give us His Word. He's done more. We're not going to get to that this evening or this morning. But we'll get there one day if the Lord would help us. So we've come unto the spirits of just men made perfect. Are you perfect today? If you are in Christ... You are complete before... Now listen, who do I have to measure up to? i got to measure up to this man here, this man here, these men here. I don't have to measure up to them. I'll tell you this, friend. Who do I have to measure up to? I have to measure up to the scrutiny of God. But do you know in Christ Jesus, in the Beloved in whom you have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. In Christ Jesus, I am perfect. I am complete. I have a full salvation. I'm not getting a double portion like the firstborn. Praise God, I'm getting an equal portion. According to the riches of His grace. All the the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator. Here's the mediator. Here's the man in between us and God. What's He the mediator of? The new covenant. This is what He says in 9.14. 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit Offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience. Thank God, in the old covenant. You know what man had under the old covenant? I believe Paul called it forbearance. God, through the old covenant, pushed out the payment for our sin one year. Forbearance of God. What do we have in a new covenant? I don't have forbearance. I have forgiveness. My sins are cast away. My sins are cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. My sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. My sins, ladies and gentlemen, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not in for, I'm not, I don't have the forbearance of God. Praise God, I have the forgiveness that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. To the mediator of the new covenant. So we got a new covenant that's sanctified, ratified. Now when they made a covenant down at Sinai, you know what they did? Moses killed some animal, or Aaron did, and they, they put the blood in a basin, and they took hyssop, and they dipped it in the basin, and they sprinkled the, the words... They sprinkled the book, if you want to say it like that. What were they doing? They were they were bringing into covenant the blood is what brings into covenant. And he sprinkled; he took that blood and sprinkled it on the people. And they said, "We'll do what you wrote down in the book." God, we'll do it. Moses was the mediator of that covenant. Who's the mediator of the new covenant? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the mediator of the new covenant. So let's see what he says. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So this is what we've come to. We've come to Jesus. We've come to Jesus who brought us into covenant with God. How did He bring us into covenant with God? By the shedding of His own blood. He didn't take a lamb. He didn't take a bullock. He took His own blood, shed His own blood, and friend, He didn't take it behind the veil. The veil was already rent. He didn't go back there where the ark was. He didn't go back there. There was no ark. No ark that day. Isn't that wonderful? Thank God there was no ark behind the veil in Herod's temple. I'll tell you what He did. He took the blood and offered it on the altar in heaven above for my sin and your sin. He brought us into covenant with God by grace and faith. He's the one that gets both of those. So we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So when they shed the blood, the high priest shed the blood at the altar of sin offering, and he sprinkled it before the veil. But he also sprinkled it behind the veil in the holy place. So what's before the veil? Well, before the veil is the offering of incense, the offering for prayer. So he sacrificed the animal, sprinkled it before the veil, and also went behind once a year, went behind the veil, and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. Did Jesus do that? I tell you, friend, that Jesus Christ made an offering unto God that was satisfactory to bring me into covenant with God cleanse my conscience before God, bring me to where I could pray before God, satisfied everything that the law had to say, everything that was in the ark, everything that was under the mercy seat, His blood satisfied every bit of that. Thank God I've been brought into something better than the old covenant. How? According to the riches of His grace. Did you deserve it? It ain't grace if you deserved it. You work for it. Grace. Grace and works are, they don't, they don't, you can't even shake them up and get them to mix. Oh, preacher, that's oil and water. No, it ain't oil and water. You might get them to blend somewhat. This is absolutely, they will not penetrate one another. You're brought into the family of God by the grace of God alone. That's all. No works. No works. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling, man, alive that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So turn with me to chapter number 11. Back a page or two in your Bible. This is what the Bible said about, By faith, 11.4, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. So I believe we could say there that Abel is speaking. That by Abel's sacrifice, Abel is speaking. Let's look in Genesis chapter number 3 or chapter number 4. Genesis chapter 4. Listen to these words. Verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, Now who's saying? The Lord's saying, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. But what's happened for us? We, we, we've, we've come into something that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And we come into something that speaketh better things than that of the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel called for vengeance, right? The blood of Abel called for God to bring vengeance, God to bring righteousness, God to bring judgment upon the slaying of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out into the ground. How, How could that be that the blood is crying from the ground? Well, I say this, how could it be that a man that's dead that his blood is crying from the ground? How could it be that a man that is dead that he still speaketh in Hebrews 11? How could that be? I you, God is aware of it. A sparrow can't fall from the ground without God being aware. So let's think for a moment. So the dead speaketh. If the dead speaketh, what does the living say? How loud? Now remember, Abel died, right? His blood cried from the ground. For what? Righteousness, judgment, vengeance. Jesus Christ answered the righteousness. The judgment, the vengeance of God. God is angry with the wicked every day. Jesus' blood answered for the vengeance, the righteousness, the the the, the, the call uh, for vengeance upon uh, the sins of the world. Jesus blood answered that. He's not dead though. Abel's dead and yet speaketh. Have we come to something greater? So, Jesus' blood satisfied God. It satisfied, it propitiated God. It satisfied God's requirement for sin. And you and I, if you're saved today, you've been brought in, and if you're not saved today, would you be brought in? Would you come? Would you want to be saved today? Would you like to come and enjoy the forgiveness and the redemption that is in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? I tell you, thank God according to the riches of His grace, He's made a salvation, a friend that you could be brought in. So if the blood of Abel cries from the ground for vengeance, for righteousness, for judgment... What does the blood of Jesus cry for? I tell you, for mercy, for forgiveness, for redemption, for eternal and everlasting life. I tell you that the blood that you and I have been brought into covenant with God. You know, I, I've thought on this. We, we, we've, not, we've not just been... Now now Think. That Cain was cast out and went into the land to be a wanderer. I've not been brought into a land to be a wanderer. I've been brought into the general assembly of the church, I've been brought into the family of God, I've been brought into the heavenly Jerusalem. Thank God you know something, friend? When Adam was in the garden, Adam, ladies and gentlemen, you and I have been restored into something not restored to what Adam had. You and I have got something greater than what Adam had. Adam walked with God. When did he walk with God? By the implications, it looked as though he walked with God. And the Bible said this, that Adam heard the voice of God. Adam heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. What do you have? What do I have? I tell what we have as saved individuals. We have God walking with us on the inside. He's not walking in and we're hearing the voice of God walking. We have God dwelling with us 24-7, 366 days a year. He dwells and lives within us. That's according to the riches of grace. And friend, do you know something? He's not talking with me and friend leaving me. No, i tell you, he's there with me all the time. That's greater than what Adam had. Is it not? That's greater than the blood of Abel. That's greater than what Abel offered unto God. You know something? Man's going to have to answer his for his sin. Or, Jesus Christ will answer for your sin. That's the only options there are. Oh no, preacher, He paid for everybody's sin. Why is man going to hell? Well, man's going to go to hell because he's rejected the offering that God made. No, no, I'll tell you, in the offering that God made, if you're saved, your rejection and your unbelief before you came to the point of salvation, that's forgiven. No greater sin in the eyes of much of our world today than the denial or the rejection. And we could read that. We read it to you a few weeks ago in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. We've come to all of this knowledge and turned away and trodden underfoot the grace of God and the blood of the covenant wherewith it was sanctified. I'll tell you what's going to happen, friend. We're going to pay for our sins if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sin of unbelief was paid for. You can spit that out if you want to. But it was paid for. And your sins, just like my name was written in the Lamb's book of life, and if you're saved, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, He's also got books too. He's also, according to what He said in Micah, He's got a book of remembrance. Sin is going to be paid for. There's only two ways to pay. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, our man dies in his sins and goes to hell. You can call it unbelief. That's fine with me. Call it unbelief. It's sin. And your sin of unbelief is going to bring every other sin that you have ever committed down on your head. It's going to bring it all down. You're going to be judged out of the books. Just a little bit more. So as you think about this, What condition was Adam in? Adam was in the condition that he could fall. You know where I am. Can you fall? No, you cannot fall. Not in Christ. Adam was in a condition that he could fall and be cast out. God did not restore me to Eden. He went way past Eden, ladies and gentlemen, Adam was liable to fall and to go away and be separated from God. That's what we've got to think about. What does the fall? I'm not talking about that I make a little mistake. I'm saved, but I make a mistake. I'm talking about falling away from the presence of God. It can never ever happen. Thank God through the riches of His grace, Adam may have been liable to fall, but through the grace and the new covenant, I cannot fall. I am in Christ and I shall never fall. That's greater. That's greater, isn't it? Isn't that greater? You know why it's greater? Because it's according to the riches of His grace. That's why it's greater. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, so lengthy, but I want to just say another word or two. So here's Adam. You know what he's going to do? He's made in the image of God. Right? That's what the council said. We're going to make man in our own image. That was marred, wasn't it? So now let's think about it logically. Every day of his life after that, he looked less and less and less like God because of his sin, didn't he? He did. But you know what you and I are? We've been brought into the family of God and. We are being transformed. We are being transformed every day from the day of salvation till the day of finish. We are becoming more and more like God. Are we not? We're being transformed into the image of God. Glory uh, to glory every day of our life through the Word and the working of the Holy Spirit of God. You've been made something better than what Adam was because of your union with the Lord Jesus Christ according to the riches of His grace. (laughs) This is better than paradise. This is better. You can't go away. Adam's going back to the dust. Where are you going? I'm getting a new body. I'm getting a new body. I've already got the promise of it. In God's Word, I've got a new mind. I've got a new thinking. And one day, I'm going to get a new body. What did Adam have to look forward to? Adam, you're going back to the dust of the ground. Is that not better? Is that not better? Is Hebrews not better? Is the new covenant not better than what Adam had in the original? It's better. I'm telling you, it's better. It's <laughs> better. There's no way around it. So death was awaiting Adam. I can't remember 600 to 900 years he lived. Death's out there. You know what happens when I leave here? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, I'm going to go from what we call earthly living into heavenly living. There is no death. I've already passed from death into life. Thank God through the covenant, through the Lord Jesus Christ, I have already been quickened. I was dead. I've been quickened and I shall never. Did Jesus say this? Did Jesus say, A man that believeth on me shall never die? Is that better than Adam? Is that better than Abel? I mean, I can't help going to Adam because Adam, it looks like Adam's got the perfect situation. And I've not been restored unto paradise. Praise God, he went way beyond paradise. So, Adam was made from the earth. And Adam was a citizen of the earth. You know where my citizenship is. By the Word of God, I'm going to read this verse and I'll shut up. To the general, we've come to the general assembly, of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. That word means to be enrolled. You know where my citizenship is. My citizenship by my union with the Lord Jesus Christ is in another country. Right? Adam was going back to the dust of the ground. I tell you this fleshly thing you're looking at may be going to the dust of the ground, and all that the lost people in this world have to look forward to is death and hell to follow. Right. But in a new covenant, I've got a new body. I shall never die. I have a citizenship today. I, I, it's already my name is already written there. You may spit that out and you can if you want to. But my name is written there. Thank God. Through the riches of His grace, I have redemption and forgiveness through His blood according to the riches of His grace.